let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful for the day. We're grateful for the free world that we uh, generally inhabit, our country anyway, and the access we have to your scriptures. We'd ask that you would keep us in them, digging for the things that are most important. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I was... I know that uh, there's a general view that my oracular powers, though mighty, occur in the bathtub. And I can't claim that this sermon occurred when I was in the bathtub. Um, it occurred when he was in the bathtub. And I was getting him up one morning, and of course I have to kill time while he performs his ablutions. So I was thinking about previous sermons, and I had this thought. I ran out to his office and got a post-it note and wrote it down so I could shove it in my pocket and think about it later. And from that came uh, sort of the, the germination of this uh, idea. And it also came from a few weeks ago, back in August, we were uh, in Romans 12, uh, first couple verses, be transformed by the renewal of your mind and how we don't want to find out what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then we looked at Ephesians and various other things of what we look for, what we seek for when we do seek. So things have been off this thread of that of Romans 12 passage. And you'll notice that in this, the sermon notes there, the second text down below is Romans 12, 3. So the next verse after the one we covered. So what I want to read to you, this is Luke 6. But I say to you that here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and of him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. And as you wish that men should do to you, so do, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. So, Jesus has just, this is the Luke account of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Luke has just related how impossible the Christian life is. This is basically, basically impossible. It is the kind of passage that no matter what, what they're stripe, no matter where I have been, I could be sitting in the comfort of my own home, talking to a guest who I've just fed, and they could bring up some of the thoughts in this passage, and they go, well, well, how can it, well, what about, uh, what if we don't, and pretty soon, every excuse under the sun to not do this, love your enemies, is being discussed. We spend all this time figuring out how we get to not love them, what the excuses are, we'll redefine terms. We'll redefine the word love. We know what love means. You do it all the time. You know what you love. You just don't like it occurring in a verse that is a quote of Jesus Christ where he tells you to love your enemies. And then he even, he even, he even makes it insulting by saying, Oh, you know all that stuff where you're loving each other inside the church and it's all working out for you and you invite someone over for a barbecue and then they invite you over for a snack and whatever the case, you get this back and forth and everybody gives and we loan to each other and we think we're just full of the Holy Spirit. He is telling you to look at the state of the world and the way people can be and still love them. Still do good to them. Still lend to them. Still offer the shirt off your back. Not to judge them. Not to condemn. Not to, and to forgive them. And to give. And then, if you do, you will get back good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will be put into your lap. And people are wondering, why can't I live the Christian life? What's so? It's not so... It's so hard. I don't know. I, I have these fights with my parents. I have these fights with my friends. I, I don't even like my friends, let alone like my enemies. Why is it so hard? We were watching for grins on the porch. You heading up there? See ya. Um, he was doing it quietly, very, very quietly. Um, we were talking on the porch the other day about I think Drew brought this up he's doing Sunday school today but that, that Bob Newhart skit where the woman comes in and she's afraid of being buried alive in a box and he tells her stop it stop it just always stop it we'd like to be able to do that in Christian ministry say everyone knows this is right this is our Lord, our God said this, we know it's right we're doing the opposite, you want to say well stop it you're sinning, stop it you're a complainy whiny individual stop it, you're an annoyed individual, stop it you're impatient, quit quit being impatient but people go, I just it's so natural, it's almost as if when I look at the teaching of Christ, I, I think this is sort of, well, it makes us all feel good to see this much righteousness on the page, but not righteousness that you're going to live. And we start thinking of ways of having theology that will excuse, will excuse us. 
He also told them a parable. Let this be a warning. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully taught, will be like his teacher. So you have to stop and look at your righteousness. Are you obeying Jesus Christ when he tells you to love your enemies? Are you being, or, or is your life the combination of enough Bible teachers that got you, found you enough loopholes so that you don't have to be doing what Jesus Christ says? Because if I'm listening to Jesus Christ, he is my teacher, I get to be like him in the end. Shaken down, good measure, pressed, over, pressed down, running over. All this will be given to you. Great answers if I just would be righteous. That's the problem. This is the, this is the moment. I had this moment when he was in the bath. When you, this is a passage that sprang to mind, this next verse. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrites! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. We all know the passage. But I want you to think for a moment that Christian life, which you struggle with, and says, whence come wars and fightings among you? Is it not your passions that wage war in your members? We know we look at the state of wickedness in other people, the way someone treated me. I have a right to be offended, I have a right to be hurt, I have a right to be whatever, annoyed, complaining, the world's such a bad place. Well, well, Jesus, look at all the abortions. You have to say it with a southern accent so that people believe you really care for the unborn. And you really care about the sin. He knows you care because you're willing to be unrighteous to others regarding it. He says, love your enemies. Includes the abortionist. Does not include the abortionist. Love your enemies. Well, they're still your enemy. You still don't side with them, but you love them. Now, what happens is when you don't have this one point worked out, the log in your own eye, when you don't have that worked out, you think all the pain and suffering in your world whether it's personal, relational, business, spiritual, you being a poop, is because of this. It is because of this, but you think it's because of what other people are doing. It's the old bitterness talk that we got in Dad's bitterness booklet. It's hard to confess because it's always the sin of somebody else. But you know, a lot of our sin is all because of the sin of other people and not recognizing the log in her own eye. Now most people look at this and go, you know, I was just correcting him for being sarcastic and I was really sarcastic. I, you know, hypocrisy, basic hypocrisy. But I want to think of something deeper here because 
This goes to some other aspects of our psychology of how we protect sin. There's a passage over on the left-hand side, right at the top, 2 Timothy 3.1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress. This is a great list if you're going to say, well, how in Jesus' name can I be expected to be righteous with this kind of presence in our lives? There will come times of stress for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Avoid such people. Okay, little instruction there at the end. Sounds like it's people inside the church because it's, they've got the form of religion, denying the power. Supposed to avoid these things. We're supposed to judge those people inside the church. We're not to avoid. But here, it's almost like a hymn. You could almost write a hymn with that line of words of rotten people. Right? Ungrateful, unholy, inhuman. You get to use the word implacable. Profligate, arrogant, abusive. Well, this, this passage sprang to mind because when we look at the world, the enemies of God, we think we, God, don't you understand? We get like Jonah. We, we want to preach against it and we don't want to forgive them. We want to preach against it. We don't, we, they've got to change so that my life will be better. One of the thoughts I had this week about this was that when you have a problem, any problem that is moral in the way you perform, the way you act, the way you think, you know that you have done wrong in the way your attitudes are, the reason, one of the basic reasons is where you think the change has to happen to fix it. That's why I wanted to bring up, there's a log in your eye. Most of, our, most of our problems is because we think bad men, and they really are this bad in 2 Timothy, this bad. We think if only we could fix the world, if only we could fix the public schools, if only we could fix the church today, if only we could fix the Presbyterians, if only we could, whatever it takes to fix, we've got to fix everybody else. Are you that kind of busybody that you're always stepping into everybody's, everybody's business because things are going wrong and I've got to fix some people? It's not that they don't need to be fixed. But you've got something else. It's like fixing others fills your windshield. But what I want you to recognize the first thing on the list and one of the last things of the list They'll be lovers of self. And then one of the last things, swollen with conceit. Lovers of self. The word is filiato, which is pretty obvious, you know, auto, as in automobile, self-motivating, or motived. And philia, which is friendship or... Um, 
that sort of love that we call friendship. So you're a, you're a dear friend of yourself. Okay? That in the last day, men will be dear friends of themselves. I don't want you to miss that, because some of the things that, when passages like that occur, we don't always, it's almost like uh, evil is trying to stay hidden. That we don't want to confess the right thing. You've seen our kids do it, right? You catch them in something, and they say, okay, I've got to confess something, so I confess something really weak sauce that isn't. They're guilty of that, but you know that, boy, they're hiding something. They're up to no good. We look at this list. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Oh, lots of things to correct. My gosh, how could we love any of these people? Well, you, you get to love all of them. You just avoid them, but you love them. We can't, we can't bring ourselves to love them because we can't even be nice to them. We're so automatic. Well, the reason that you can't even feel nice to someone who's wicked to you is they did something that affects, dear heavens, you. And because you are a lover of self, what greater crime? That's what an enemy is, folks. Someone who's trying to do bad things to you. That's who you're supposed to love. But he's doing bad things to me. Well, yeah, that's assumed, right, enemy? Doing bad things to you. Ruining your life. Spending gossip about you at work. Doing whatever kind of damage they can do. And yet, well, the only thing, you can't change that, right? Because, but we, we seem to think that's what we need to do. We think we have to fix the misunderstanding, the gossip, the behavior of the other person. We have to turn, turn them into HR so that they have to go through some, maybe some seminars on tolerate, tolerance and diversity so that you won't have bad people in your life because that's the only way we can deal with it, right? Then we can love them. But then if they would just take a bath, we can love them. But he did, we were told that. We were told that the people who are enemies, who are doing bad things to you, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How does Jesus Christ do such a thing? Recommend it to us. Not just because he's God. Well, he's God. Well, he just told you in Luke 6. You better be this way. This is how righteousness is defined. And guess what? The sliver that we need to adjust is in that lovers of self. Because that's why it hurts. That's why it bothers you. You are complaining because it was you. You are complaining and annoyed because it was you. And you are angry because it was your stuff. You're like a toddler. You think you're more than you are. This is, uh, as I pointed out on the left-hand side, halfway down, is wickedness fills our windshield when it should fill our mirror. We've got stuff to look at in us that are this, this hidden degree of self-value that is causing all, and I would say all, uh, with an understanding that I, I might not be right, 
let's just say certain temptations are so big and they touch on so many wickednesses, so many of our inabilities to do what we were told to do. This is the wickedness. You don't think correctly about you. First off, we hide actual sins we have done. We do not get rid of the log in our own eye. But it's not just guilt. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Okay? So not only are you responsible to deal with any overt guilt, you're to deal with any inaccuracy. You are not as handsome as you think you are. Now men have a bigger problem with this because we really don't care, and we get the mirror, we look at it, and we look at it, get a good angle in the mirror, and we go, fine, I'm out there, I'm out the door, looking good. I actually think I'm thin. I have to tell you I'm fat all the time because I can't remember. Because I have angles in the, in the mirror. You never look at yourself sideways, just a basic point of uh, tactical advantage. I'm fat. I have to tell people. Because the lie is huge. I'm inaccurate. Back when I used to suck my cheeks in, because I couldn't stand not looking like George Harrison, um, I, I actually thought people believed it, that I had sunken cheeks. But nope. Like a fat face sucking his cheeks in. So, let's, let's, let's c cover the points here. You're probably heavier than you think you are. You're probably not as good looking as you think you are. You're probably a whole lot less smart than you think you are. Well, I may not be the best looking person in the world, but I scored high on the Mensa thing. Those are just tricks to get people to buy something. And you were dumb enough to take it. You were dumb enough to take an online IQ test. Fell for it. And now your email is filled with all sorts of sales things because you're stupid enough to take an online IQ test and now you think you have an IQ of 142 and you don't. You're not a lot of things. But boy, do we love ourselves. I mean, we, the inaccuracy, okay, correct it. You said, but, you know, frankly, Evan, I really am ridiculously good looking. Say you are. Say you go to All Souls. Small church and you are really actually good looking. And say, for instance, you have a doctorate in physics. So you're smart. Okay, there are people that we're not asking you to pretend you're dumb, pretend you're ugly, and pretend you're fat. But if you're fat, if you're dumb, if you're ugly, realize it. But also, if you're smart and thin, realize it too, because we're not asking for false humility, we're asking for accuracy. Because Jesus Christ knew he was God. Right? 
the, the same one, you know, you don't say, Pan, I can't believe it, Jesus. Once again, you were telling people you were God. Now I know you are God, but for heaven's sake, how could you be more conceited? Biggest, biggest being in history, cosmic terms, it's there. He's, I'm God. If you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The greatest thing ever. It's accuracy that he was because he's the example of humility. He's the example of what accuracy with one more step does. And this is how you tell. When we confess our guilt about our actual sins and remove the log, you've looked in the mirror and said, oh my gosh, there's a log in my eye. You confess the log. You get rid of the log. Then you start to say, I need to find out accurately who I actually am. But some people, what happens when a really good-looking, smart person finds out they're really good and smart? Good-looking and smart. Arrogant and conceited. Not just, it's not just fat and ugly people that get arrogant and conceited or think they're incorrectly uh, attractive. But also, they become arrogant, they become conceited. What if you're looking at yourself accurately and you go, oh my gosh, and you finally turn sideways in the mirror and you look and the scales fall from your eyes. You say, I really am fat. Or you ask a dear friend, dear friend, long-term friend, who's not your enemy, how smart do you think I am on a scale from one to 10? And the number 3.5 comes up. Well, about 3.5, good lighting. You don't think I'm smart now, you're dumb as a stump. What's gonna happen now? You've got, you've confessed your sins, you've confessed your inaccuracy, you've come to grips with what you actually are, whether it's great or high or low. But there are sins on both ends of that. There is a conceit and arrogance on the part of the person who discovers he's something, which Jesus Christ didn't do, though he knew he was God. And then there are the sins of the people who realize they're virtual halfwits in an unpleasant looking body. What happens to them? They get depressed. Why are they depressed? Because there's still something hidden of self-love in them. In other words, your love of self is not a meritocracy. You thought it was. You thought it was. You thought it was, well, you know, I really like me because I'm actually pretty admirable. No, you lied to yourself that you're admirable because you actually love yourself for no cause. No cause whatsoever. So you have to ask yourself that what I do when accuracy comes home, do I become difficult, proud, conceited, arrogant? Do I become depressed, hiding away? Because what's supposed to happen when I give myself up, Jesus Christ gave himself up, He's instructed us to love those who hate us. He has told us to think of ourselves accurately, get rid of the sins in your own life, and the last step required 
to keep you from just circling the drain when you get to this point on either the high side or the low side is realizing you're not your own bestie or ought not be your own bestie that there's we were talking uh, having another argument on the front porch we have a lot of arguments on the front porch um, about a week ago less than a week ago on loyalty and I quoted my father who says loyalty is a dirty word now I don't know if you knew that so I defended my father's position I'm a good son and I want something in the inheritance but we have a loyalty that we think we owe ourselves this degree of affection once you realize that you're an awful person say you got sins in your life that logs in your own eye and you've been functioning in a religious world are you one of those people that people should be are being told to avoid because you're a lover of self swollen with conceit being all religious and such are you one of those avoidance things or are you actually becoming righteous that when you walk into the presence of your enemy you know what love is you don't complain about the hardness of the instruction it says in verse 9 of the Romans passage coming out of finding out who you are a bunch of things let love be genuine hate what is evil Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Live with, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Guess what? As far as it depends upon you, has got a lot of work to be done. The only sins you can actually control, though we seem to spend all of our time talking with our friends about sins other people ought to control, is your own. Have you ever tried to change somebody's mind about their sins? Ever tried to win the atheist in a debate? Get them to confess? You can't. Holy Spirit can chase them down. God can chase them down. But even he cannot force them to repent. He desires all men to repent and they don't. But guess what? Guess what? You can do instantaneously in you, in your sin... What needs to be done for you with your sin? It's right there for us. And we decide that we're going to look at their unchangeable sin that will never end. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction and many are they that go therein. Guess what? You're going to be around wicked people for the rest of your life. In a wicked world and a lot of wickedness in the church 
and you're going to be around it. Wicked roommates, children who, who are not ideal, parents who are not ideal, whatever the circumstance. You better figure out a way that you could do something because you can't do it to their sin. Look at that description. Genuine love, honor, joy, patience, harmony. And you know that the big sin struggles that you're going through is where you have not been in harmony with somebody else, where you have been conceited or you think they so, and you look at that list in the, the Lord's uh, Sermon on the Mount, or Paul's list in Romans 12, or and then Timothy's list of the bad people doing bad things all over the place, and you wonder why you don't fit that good list and you just are, even though you reject the bad list and you're just angry about it. Why are people so awful? You think you're something you're not, and probably in every way you possibly could think it. You know, because this is a very subtle, ultimate point of development in your life, it was happening in you before you had any skills whatsoever to admire yourself for. Why do you admire yourself so much? Why are sins in your life you have to confess? Why are there inaccuracies of measurement about you that you have to confess? And why is there this underlying filiato, this love of you? Because you are the only person that you know that feels what you feel. You're the only person. Everything that matters in your universe, you have never felt what anybody else felt. And it matters to you, you know, because you felt the pleasure that you felt. And you really liked it. Because you are you, and you valued the pleasure. And then the pain that happened, whether it's emotional or physical or financial or whatever it is, you felt. Because you're the only one who feels what happens to you. That's called being the self. And that's precisely who you're in love with. You've got this great friendship with, because it really matters whether you get invited to all of self's birthday parties and you can avoid all of self's bad relationships so bad people have to be corrected or moved away or shunned and good people have to be encouraged to give you more presents. Right? Because you're changing the world because you're the kind of person who's living off of your pain and your pleasure. Because that's what defines you to you. So you're spending your life running around insisting that someone not play their music so loud. Well, because you don't like it. Well, that's just not right. They, should play. they shouldn't have the right to play their music that loud. We have a neighbor that complains about everything. We'll call the cops on you. We've been nice to her. She actually has a decent relationship with us other than calling the cops on us. And on everyone. Now, she's trying to make sure that nobody enters her life to add to the pile of discomfort. They only should enter her life when they add to the pile of comfort. And if you enter her life with that plan, we're going to add to your pile of comfort. She's all over it. She's your best friend since Sunday. We're all doing that. 
the reason, and you know you're doing it, if you're, if you're struggling at all in your Christian walk, and you're not loving those who are your enemies, it's because of you think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And even when you get past the, to the accurate moment, okay, I know that I got a, a, one, a 110 IQ, and I know I'm six foot one, and I weigh a little bit more than I should. That's accurate, but there's still Evan underneath that, going, it really matters to him that he have good things happen to him and not bad things. So we're always tempted to correct everyone else, rather than stopping yourself short and saying, just because it hurts you, and just because it makes you feel good, doesn't mean it's owed you. You're not, it's not about you. You're not God. You're not the centerpiece. You're not the reason for everyone else living. You have to confess that. It's not that, that knowing yourself and taking care of yourself is bad. Jesus Christ knew he was God. But how come he could stand against every temptation and he was tempted just like you? Desired things just as much as you? Because he knew who he was. And knew what was right for a person to expect. Because when he was facing the biggest pain you could imagine facing, and he asked God to let him out of it, wasn't a problem for him to ask God to let him out of it. Wasn't a problem to try and stop the bad thing from happening. But what did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. Can you say that? Or has it always got to be your will, or you're going to be peeved? Peeved with your husband, peeved with your wife, peeved with your friends, peeved with your fellow parishioners, peeved with your enemies, peeved. Are you able to say, not my will, but thine be done? We have to confess all of it. We're not to be overcome by evil, but we're overcoming evil with good. That's what we're supposed to do. And when the, the descriptions of the Christian life seem alien to you, and you know that you shouldn't be coming up with explanations of how it doesn't apply to you, if you want to know where to do the work, this is where the work gets done. We can, the, the, as much as we can fix in the universe, is you. You're the only one, and when it's landed on you to fix the universe, the only thing you can fix is you. I mean, people who love you, you can't fix. People you care the most about, you can't fix. Ask any parent spanking their kid. You can only do so much. You can't fix them. Jesus Christ can fix them. They can fix them. Their will. And they have to say, not my will, but thine be done. They have to go to God in confession on all fronts. Guilt, accuracy, and then the underlying you that's there that says... The world is supposed to be serving this feeling agent that feels things so deeply. Feeling things so deeply. You ever listen to yourself? I just feel, I just love too much. Ah, you're just awful. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you. We'd ask that you bless our thoughts on how we step away from us and step away to serving you and rejoicing in it.
in your son's name. Amen.